Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I am intentionally encouraged when I see people doing business the right way. And for the last 15 years, Damon Burton and his team at SEO National have done just that. Now you might say, Brian, what can they do for me and my business? I'm going to tell you what they can do for you. They can help you understand search engine optimization. There are a lot of players out there in the marketplace, but you want a team of people that are going to be dedicated to working with you and helping you to understand search engine optimization and how you can show up higher on search engines so that you can bring more revenue into your business. Damon and his team are full of integrity, honesty, decency, and trust. And if that's important to you and that encourages you, I would encourage you to give them a call today at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get a free quote and tell them you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Get ready for a dynamite conversation coming up right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Part two of my conversation with Jack Vale. You can go to YouTube and find him at Jack Vale Films. You are going to want to subscribe if you're looking for a laugh, if you're looking for something that will brighten your day. Go find Jack Vale Films. You can also find him on social media at a lot of different places at Jack Vale Films. Jack Vale, spelled V-A-L-E, but you can find him right here, right now, on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Jack, thank you again, man. I, I appreciate so much you joining me today. Sure, yeah. Thank, thank you again. In part one, as we ended part one of our conversation, we were talking about the impact of Carmen. And, and for those of you that don't know Carmen, Carmen was a legendary singer in the contemporary Christian field. Um, probably one of the greatest selling artists of all time in that genre, even maybe outselling Mercy Me or uh, some of the Christian bands that you would know today, Casting Crowns and, and folks like that. Before there was a lot of these Christian bands like that, there was Carmen. He was the standard bearer for many, many years in the contemporary Christian industry. You mentioned your connection to Carmen. Let's pick up from here. You got to spend a ton of time with him on the phone in the last eight months of his life without going too deep, you know, and again, I, I want to be respectful of those personal conversations because there were things that you've probably shared with him that will stay between you and him. But what was the overall tenor? This guy was fighting cancer and had been battling and battling and battling. How was his overall demeanor in the last eight months of his life? Well, he was, uh, first of all, he was always a very positive guy. He was always very positive. And the cancer had subsided and he was actually in pretty good shape. He, he went into the hospital and, um, in 2021 and he, uh, for a hiatal hernia thing. So it was a pretty pretty basic thing that he went in there for. His his cancer had been in in um, remission, and so uh, he it was just it was just complicated. He came out of the surgery um, 
with a, a, an infection that they had found and the surgery went okay, but then they found this infection. They had to go back in and get the infection. And when they did that, then he got sick. And then, he, you know, so, so what should have been a few days in the hospital ended up like a month. Mm -hmm. And, um, finally they came in and, and, um, they, they were ready to discharge him and get his papers ready and everything. And, and, uh, uh, that, that day he, he, flatlined just i mean that by the time they made it to the door it was just it was a very quick it was a very quick thing i mean one minute he was up and you know and then the next minute he was just gone i mean it, it happened that fast so people remember him having cancer and they think well he lost his bout with cancer but actually it was something entirely different um and that it was the boy it was one of the hardest I, so up until that point, just so you know, we had been working closely together um, and I had been getting his story, his life story from childhood on through the years of the ministry. So we had all this, I had all this, this story, I had this big, big, big giant story. And my last in-person meeting with Carmen was, was November 24th, um, 2020. And we, we met here near my house at the Cracker Barrel. That was his favorite deal was a Cracker Barrel. So Now, that's pretty amazing. This guy's a hardcore Italian singer. You know, I think he grew up in <laughs> – didn't he grow up in New York or something like that? Jersey, yeah. Yeah, and loves the Cracker Barrel. I mean, <laughs> that seems like he should have grown up in – Huntington, West Virginia, instead of New Jersey, you know, but that to me is unreal that, that he was such a Cracker Barrel fan. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. But he, yeah, he, he was, and, and we, um, we sat down and he brought with him poster boards and, and different colored markers and stuff, you know, and we laid it all out and we started planning and he started showing me the the timeline of his life and, and his family tree and, and all this kind of stuff. And we started building the characters of what would be a movie, a feature film about his life. Um, and the best way to explain this is to say that his life as a movie was a little bit of Goodfellas, a, a little bit of, um, I can only imagine, and a whole lot of Rocky. It had the heart and soul of uh, of Rocky. And the, the reason it escalated this far, by the way, is because this, this first meeting that we had in 2020 was on his tour bus. And we sat there and we were pretty deep in a conversation, I felt. We were having a good conversation. And he was listening to some chatter on the bus. And people were talking about shirts or merch or something like that. And it caught his attention and he abruptly stopped his conversation with me and a spark happened and, and he, and he went, anybody know how many people got saved tonight? And, um, he wasn't being facetious. He, he was, people were talking about numbers and, and the only number that's important to him was how many people got saved tonight. And he was actually at a smaller church, 250 people maybe, or something like that. And, and I think, um, you know, what was it that night? Eight or nine people came up and got saved. And that was everything to him in that moment. He just wanted to know 
how many people got as long yeah. as he knew that he was impacting people for the kingdom and people were still getting saved well then he felt that he still had more to do and jack let's put that into perspective for some folks that might not understand it in the early 90s you're talking about a guy that played large arenas because when 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 i saw him he played at the largest venue in our area in in our immediate area now we have the charleston civic center that holds and i think he played there too but the charleston civic center holds about 12 or thirteen thousand for basketball uh the mountain health arena in huntington holds about eight thousand for uh basketball or, or whatever they were going to play and carmen played that but carmen played big arenas i mean he he didn't play small and i say play that's the the music term um that they use but carmen played big arenas i mean he played some some big venues did some things with the billy graham crusade which were f football stadiums at that time that the the billy graham and he goes to a, a a church of about 250 people and people would say well well how did he go from there to there i believe sometimes guys like that and 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 and, and forgive me for assuming I would have to think at some point life just just takes you in a different place and you go, I, I just want to see, I want to minister to people. I don't care if it's 15,000 or it's 250. Did you get that vibe from Carmen that he was in that place in his life where it was about ministering to people and not how big the venue was? Yeah, but I, you know, I think that, I think Carmen got as big as he did, um, he, the, as he grew and really got to his climax, which I would say was probably 1994. Yeah, 100%. Um, that would have been the standard tour. Mm -hmm. So who's in the house? And, you know, I mean, that was probably the climax I think that that was always his number one goal because Carmen got saved when he was 21. So at Disneyland. And, and so that's a whole other story, but he got saved when he was 21. Um, after going to an Andre Crouch concert at Disneyland. Yeah. And he, um, he, from that moment on, he just wanted people to experience that feeling that he felt that, that day, that night. So that was always his mission. That was always his goal. And that was his, I guess some might call it his heyday. That was his absolute, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. Forget about it. That was it. And then all the way up to like 2000 was pretty, because then you had Mission 316 and Riot and all these things that were also just, you know, really massive hits. But in 2000, the labels were just they had just had enough because you got to remember the music the Christian music label at that time and, and I guess today I don't know how much I should say about this but in that time specifically they they really saw Christian music going in a certain direction mm -hmm. that Carmen was not willing to go and Carmen was somebody who they could not they could not control because he was determined to do things the way that he knew God was telling him to do it. And if that meant not having a label and going off on his own, that's what he would do because 
he would not let anybody control him because his mission was salvation period so when it came time to you know hey the late the uh the altar calls you know nobody else is doing one at every single concert and they're really long carmen you know or he would get pushback from uh about ticket sales he just mm -hmm. insisted that you know i'm sorry but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sell tickets um he had pushback for years on that and finally the year 2000 came and it was just like it was a it was a rough year for him you know they just finally had enough they pulled the plug and so he didn't have a label anymore. And when, back in those days, if you didn't have a label, well, you were kind of on your own. There was no, you know, like it is today. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's part of what happened. But even when that happened, he he would, it was a slow, it was kind of a slow decline. If you're looking at numbers and stuff like that, it was, it was kind of, I would say, more of a gradual thing. And these other artists were getting all the support from the label. Meanwhile, he was on his own. So by the time he was um, in, I guess about 14 years, roughly went by or 13 years and he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I would say that his, his heart the entire time was whether it's one person or 1 million. He just wanted to know that he was still here for that purpose that he was born for. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Prices are going up by the day. We've got to find ways to increase our household revenue. Now, a couple ways you could do that is, one, you could go and ask your boss for a raise. But if that doesn't work, I've got another way for you. It's my friend Joe Hart's program called Products for Profit. Joe's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourage podcast and told his story about how learning retail arbitrage changed his life, and he's been helping thousands of people change theirs. Now, retail arbitrage is simply this. It's taking a product and buying it and then reselling it online for a higher price, and you keep the profits. And guess what? Amazon and Walmart use third-party resellers every day to fulfill their customer orders. I want you to go to productsforprofit.com or productsforprofit.carrd.co. Get connected to Joe's team. Tell them you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast and start making money today with Products for Profit. And now let's get back to more great conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And he was quite the forerunner. And, and forgive me for taking so much time on on this part. I, I really do want to get your your story, but I've got to believe too that you saw a lot of things in Carmen as you're unraveling some of this stuff. You're starting to find some of the pieces. I would have to think, and forgive me for assuming you you said in part one you connected with Carmen for the first time at fifteen. This is a guy you look up to. And now all of a sudden, I would have to think as you're sitting down and he's giving you a timeline of all this stuff, there has to be some V8 moments in your mind as a filmmaker and you're going, oh my goodness. If if everybody knew this part of the story or if folks only knew that part of the story or folks only knew this. And that's why we do the, the Intentional Encourager podcast because I don't think people see the real pieces that make people who they are. And as a filmmaker, that that has to gravitate to you. Was there one moment that you had, was there one particular moment as you were having a conversation with Carmen that was a blowback moment for you? Like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe he's sharing this with me. Who am I that this guy that I looked up to 
all these years ago, who's now my friend, is sharing some of these vulnerable things with me. Was there a blowback moment for you that happened during that process? Yeah, as you're seeing that, I'm trying to think of, uh, not trying, I am thinking of all of the different ones. And so rather than saying there was one moment, I will tell you, that day on November 24th, when we sat down, because after the Cracker Barrel, which lasted about two hours, and then we went to a, we actually uh, migrated over from the Cracker Barrel to the um, hotel where he was staying. So we rented a like a ballroom out, you know, and it was just the two of us at this the conference table. And we were planning for like eight hours in this, you know, all day, just this movie, 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 movie stuff. And um, that's where he really gave me a ton of information. And I learned a lot about his mom and his dad and his brother and, his, you know, um, and experiences that had happened to him throughout the ministry. And there were a few things that he said to me, actually. There was a way that he dealt, how do I say this? Uh, there were a couple of ways, actually, that he dealt with certain things within the confines of his ministry that blew me away that I just went, I, I mean, I was really taken back because I remember ministry in the 80s and 90s and and pastors, and I grew up just like you, you know? Yeah. I, I So I remember him telling me these stories, and at one point I said, is this, uh, how much of this stuff can we actually put in the movie, you know? Because I thought, for sure, you don't want the, and, and he goes, oh, no, we can use it all. Let's use it all. You know, he was very adamant that he wanted, if, if it pushed the story along, and this would help people to understand what it was that went on in his life, then let's use it. And really nothing was off limits. So by the time we got to the point where um, we had the timeline and we had the stories put together and everything, and you got to know the family, I will say, I will say this, Carmen's story is, I'm trying to even think of a movie like it. It would be, like I said, a combination of so many different things because it was it's hilarious, first of all. So funny. You could imagine this crazy, crazy Italian family in Jersey, you know, this big family with big personalities and 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 then but the the, the drama of it all and the, you know, and then the heart-wrenching kind of because the goal was get people saved. The whole yeah. time. And what people didn't realize is the stuff that Carmen had to endure and put up with along the way. You know, yeah, so because nobody sees the, Jack, nobody sees the, and, and you mentioned the tour bus. And and nobody sees the 20, 20, 21 hours of the day. You know, everybody sees the two or three hours mm -hmm. of the experience of the concert, right? You, you're going there see Carmen this is so exciting and everybody's excited naturally mm -hmm. but we don't see the other 20 hours of the business side of it the well I've got to do this I've got to do that I've got to take care of this by the way there's 30 40 people on this tour that I'm responsible for covering their salaries I'm responsible for helping cover you know they've got families at home too so you're having to worry about that you're, you're having and then you mentioned the pressures from the other side of the goal is very simple we want to get we want to see people saved. we want to see lives change we want to see god minister to people and in the other side the pressures of 
well, but how much merch did we sell tonight? Well, how, you know, what was the, what, what did the numbers look like and things like that? That had to be almost exhausting for a guy like that who just wanted to be singularly focused and go, there's 5,000 people here tonight and everybody needs something. They've come looking for something and everybody's needs are different. And you're hoping that you can just reach everybody, minister, whether they're saved or not, minister to those people. Did you ever, you're right, it's hard to kind of break that story. As a filmmaker, what was the biggest challenge for you in trying to tell the story the right way? And here's why I say that. There's a story here in our area. It's a, it was a movie many years ago called We Are Marshall. It was about the 1970 Marshall football plane crash. And everybody here who was affected by it hoped that the story would get told the right way, and it did. When you look at a biopic like this of Carmen's life, what's the challenge for you as a filmmaker to tell the story the right way? I was really blessed in in that respect because that part of it um, was not very hard for me. Um, because first of all, I, I, ha I have the official story that Carmen gave to me. So it's it's not really, that's not really a problem. The problem becomes in then distributing the movie. It's not even making the movie, it's distributing the movie. So there's all these different, different elements of making a movie. And one of the problems is if you sell the movie too soon to a distributor, then they start changing things creatively. And then you end up with something and you couldn't call the shots and you couldn't say what, you know. So. I think the way that this has happened along the way has been a very, very divine and specific um, order from the Holy Spirit. I really do. I believe that. I think that that Carmen felt a release to give his life rights to me and that was a really fun process, by the way. Our attorneys going back and forth and, and, and me and, you know, Carmen eventually just got frustrated with the whole thing. And he called me and he, and he goes, uh, let these guys do what they're going to do. Let's you and me, we're going to talk about it anyway. Okay, here we go. You know, and we, <laughs> so we started working on this thing before anything was really final, you know? And then finally, when it was, it was a big celebration. We could actually do this. And, and I think he just felt a sense of, um, that he could trust it was going to be told the right way. Um, I, I will tell you, I wasn't disappointed with anything that Carmen had to share. He was, he said, I want people to know I'm human. I want people to understand that it wasn't just me up there on that stage. I want them to know who I, you know, what went on. And I want them to know, and it wasn't a bunch of bad stuff. I don't mean that. It was just, right. he wanted people to understand that no matter where they are in their life, whatever place they're in, that God can and will if you allow him to use you and he really saw he didn't see himself as anything above anybody else he was always kind of like he knew people saw him that way but that always bothered him he would tell me sometimes people things would be going on within the ministry problems and drama and you know whatever and um, they would always go to him and ask him for advice and half the time he didn't really know what to say because he was just He's just a guy, you know, he's like, I don't know. And a few times he would respond to people in a certain way. And I'd go, why'd you tell him that? <laughs> He'd go, I don't know what to say. 
you know. Yeah. He was really just, and then there were other times he felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit behind the scenes to just confront something head on and deal with it, or or go and put his hand on somebody's shoulders, pray with them right there on the spot, or because he was a, oh, he was a, he was just an interesting guy, man. He was like yeah. if you could imagine the Godfather. Half God, half the Godfather, and half Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what yeah. it felt like going into a room to talk to Carmen. You know, <laughs> half Godfather, half Billy Graham. That that is so good, Jack. I, I want to pivot for just a minute. I got to ask you this to, to to transition. Would it be possible for ten year old Jack Vale to see where his life? had gone or was going you know you mentioned meeting carmen at 15 being impacted and you mentioned not having not having a relationship with your biological father and your stepfather was that that role that you stepped in could it is it possible for 15 year old jack vale to see where where you would end up in life at in in your in your 40s and things like that because you mentioned the impact that Carmen had on you and the challenges that you had had up into that point in your life. Would it have been fathomable to you to see where life had taken you at, you know, if you could have saw at 15 where you are now, would it have registered to you? How, how do you think you would have processed it? Um, I don't know. When I was 10, you know, I was definitely singing when I was 10. So I, I always actually kind of thought that I would end up in the ministry in some way. And I, I kind of thought that I was going to be, that I would sing, that I would go from church to church and sing and evangelize and, and, uh, and all of that. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know dreams are powerful pieces of intentional encouragement. We all have them. If you're a business owner, you've probably always dreamed of taking your sales to levels you've never seen before. I've got a guy that can help you with that. His name is Brad Norwood. My good buddy Brad has been on the Intentional Encourager podcast as a guest before, and he is a dream specialist. His company, Dream It Pro, offers incentive packages to travel to places such as the Masters, Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl, even exotic places that you've always wanted to take your team, but you just didn't know how to do it. Brad's your guy. And oh, by the way, Brad's a certified bucket list coach, so he can help your team members achieve their personal dreams as well. I want you to go to www.dreamitpro.com and find out more or call him directly at 479-466-6907. And by the way, tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Yeah. If you could imagine the Godfather, half God, half the Godfather, and half Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what yeah. it felt like going into a room to talk to Carmen. You know, <laughs> half Godfather, half Billy Graham. That that is so good, Jack. I, I want to pivot for just a minute. I got to ask you this to, to to transition. Would it be possible for ten year old Jack Vale? to see where his life had gone or was going. You know, you mentioned meeting Carmen at 15, being impacted, and you mentioned not, have, not having a relationship with your biological father, and your stepfather was that, that role that you stepped in. 
could it is it possible for 15 year old jack vale to see where where you would end up in life at in in your in your 40s and things like that because you mentioned the impact that carmen had on you and the challenges that you had had up into that point in your life would it have been fathomable to you to see where life had taken you at you know if you could have saw at 15 where you are now would it have registered to you how how do you think you would have processed it um i don't know when i was 10 you know i was definitely singing when i was 10 so i i always actually kind of thought that i would end up in the ministry in some way and i i kind of thought that i was going to be that i would sing that i would go from church to church and sing and evangelize and and uh and all of that so i don't know if it would have been possible at that time but i always aimed for it and i definitely was you know i was raised my mom raised me pretty much by herself and so she was not the she was the kind of mother who would believe in me no matter what so she always she loved the idea that i was always singing and preaching and stuff like that so it was actually um a lady from my church I went to this little, I was raised Pentecostal, but um, for a short period of my life, I went to a uh, Southern Baptist church um, because they needed a, a helper in the um, in the youth group. And they had heard uh, heard about me and stuff. And so me and my mother started going to this church in, and in Lodi, California. And, um, and there was this lady in the church her name was Nancy, and uh, we went to this big Carmen concert. So we went to this, you know, the youth group. We all went, and it was in uh, Sacramento. And we, we, when we went to this concert, Carmen was signing autographs um, in 1988. And uh, as it kind of started, the line started to fade away, and then she was in line, and she said it would mean everything to that kid over there if you'd pay a little extra attention to that kid, you know standing right over there and he looked i didn't know this was happening and finally uh at the end of when he was all finished signing autographs and everything he's he jumped up on the stage and he, and he snapped his finger like this really loud and he goes hey and i turned and looked and 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 he goes let's go and and uh from then on i was just like i couldn't i was in, just enveloped in this world i jumped up on stage i followed him around and next thing you know i'm talking to him and that conversation when I was 15 ended with, with us, with me telling him, I think we're supposed to do something together, maybe sing together or something. I just think that we're supposed to. So here's this little kid, this, you know, 15 year old kid telling Carmen, I think we're supposed to do something together. And he just kind of humored me at the time, you know, I remember. And he goes, you know, maybe we will work together someday, you know. So I couldn't get that out of my head in a couple years ago when I met him, I kept thinking about that. And I told him, I said, I don't know, man, I think we're supposed to still think we're supposed to do something together. You know, it may not be singing together, but it's something. And um, next thing you know, you know, it just everything kind of worked out. So it's interesting. And I will say this, I think that the steps were orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, everything from meeting him then to meeting him later and, and everything in between. I experienced a lot of life in between. That's for sure. You go from being 15 and you have this moment so take me through your adolescent into your young adult years. How do you transition from 
singing and ministry and things like that, did you did you have a deeper creative side that kind of pushed you to, hey, maybe I want to tell stories. Maybe I want to go and do something like that. Maybe because having done that myself, I, I've sang in, in most all my life, it's very easy to just be one, you know, and some people do that. Some people just go, I'm going to pursue music full time. And they just go. I mean, it's just a a straight line shot to per, to pursuing music. For me, I didn't I didn't really want to do that because I'd kind of seen on the periphery. It's like, yeah, maybe that's not the life that I I want to have. I want to have more freedom to do some other things in life. What was that like for you? Were you on a on a collision course just pursuing music and ministry all the time, or were there other things that that you wanted to do in life? There were a lot of things I wanted to do in life, and and uh, fortunately, you know, I got to do a lot of them. Um, but Car Carmen was so the difference is is outstanding. I mean, Carmen was so different. He had one thing that was really on his mind, but he wanted other things. But there was one thing that was above everything else, and that was his mission to win the lost. But people didn't know that he dated and he, you know, like he dated a lot, you know, he had girlfriends and this, that, and the other. And so, and he would have, he had a handful of serious relationships too. But when it looked like it was about to graduate to the next level, most of the, most of these girls realized, you know, you're always going to, we're always going to take a back seat to, to what his real focus is. And, uh, you know, I think rightfully so. With me, it was different. I, I, I knew that I wanted a family. I knew that I wanted to be married. And I knew that I, I wanted to have all of these other things. I wanted to experience different things, you know? So, um, and I got to do that. But that's reflective in my early in my early life. Like after 15, I was, I made pizza. I delivered pizza. I sold cars. I sold car insurance. Uh, you know, I did all these different things and every one of those jobs, I probably didn't stay at for longer than a couple of weeks, maybe or something, not very long. And, um, and it's because my brain was just, I wanted to be on to the next thing, you know? So when I started doing this, um, this YouTube stuff and I saw how happy it made people, uh, and that it was a gateway into, it was like a segue into people's lives where you could actually like, oh, I am in the ministry. I do get to be in the ministry and it's a full-time gig, you know, it's, it's. So what were you doing before you, you started making the videos? If I could ask, I mean, because I, I think people, Jack, there are a lot of people that, that would love to have the kind of blow up success and be a, a YouTube sensation and things like that because they see the numbers and things like you were talking about just a few minutes ago with, with Carmen and that what a what a powerful story but they don't realize the journey that people take to have to get there and the work and the sacrifice and the effort for you what were you doing before you decided to to make videos I always had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit so I always knew that I wanted to be my own boss and and be able to take control over the hours that I worked and things like that so I made sure at the time that we started YouTube um the pooter, by the way, was kind of like my latest scheme of thing. Like, you know, my latest that my wife was like, 
you know, I was always coming up with something. I always had an idea for something new. But at that particular moment, we were buying and selling stuff on eBay. And, you know, we were we we made sure that because we could always make more money doing our own thing and earning a living than than taking a job working a set amount of hours. And I remember starting that, I think in gosh, I don't know, uh, 2000 maybe or something like that. And um, when we started that, it was, I, I realized that you could, if you did it right, you could buy something and then sell something and make more money than a lot of people would make in a couple of days of work. So I thought, well, if I could do more of that, then that's four days, eight days, 10, you know, I could. So that's what kind of started that. And, um, but it was also, it was kind of like love at first sight, honestly, when, uh, when I did the pooter thing, because, uh, I saw everything as everything that I did as a way to, to, to meet new people and be able to have conversations with those people. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, my, my head has been kind of all over the place and I've always been interested to do something similar to, you know, what I do now. I didn't know exactly where that would end up, but I will tell you, um, YouTube and the platform that it is has given me the ability to showcase not just pranks and not just comedy, but give people kind of a look into a more, what my, what my major goals are. Like, um, uh, growing up, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm kind of a crier at the movies. So if something touches me or whatever, you know, I remember being in church and I would watch people come up to the altar and get saved. And I, you know, my eyes would pop open. They were never closed like they were supposed to be. They would open because I wanted to see these people and see them walking up and going up and get, you know, and it always inspired me to see that. So getting to do what I do now is, is pretty incredible. And having that platform, cause you get a million here and a couple million over there. And then pretty soon you realize people start to, they want to talk to you and then they want to, you know, you get to make movies like, uh, Carmen and you know all these other things that I get to do it's pretty fun that is so cool I gotta ask you my last question for you've been so great with your time share with me in this audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for somebody out there that says well I would like to do that or maybe I would like to to do something for you what's what's been that one piece of intentional encouragement that you've always held on to that's that's fueled what you do that's I think that's easy um Maybe this isn't true for everybody, but it, but if if you have any ego at all, just get rid of it. You know, just push it right out of the way. Get rid of the ego, and 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 don't don't have this mentality that you've got to fix everything or it's up to you to, you know, get get rid of yourself, and and really, maybe this is advice just for Christians, but I'm gonna say it this way anyway. Get yourself out of the way and and really believe that God has your back, that he's really got, that he's got this, you know, a friend of mine, a real good friend of mine actually um, is a preacher on uh, uh, this, uh, the SBN network, I think, and uh, Gabe, Gabriel Swaggart, and he's got this thing. He says, God has got it. And uh, in one of his 
Did you ever see that sermon where he's like, God has got it? And yeah. Pretty soon shirts came out, I think, that said, God has got it. And uh, he really does. And the minute you kind of get yourself out of the way and you realize that God has your back, um, you know, you're going to find that that when when those things are controlled by him and not us, then you're you're setting yourself up for success because it's his will instead of our own will. So it has to be that way. And 100 percent Christmas is coming up. Mm. So, Jack, tell folks how they they could get the pooter. They, this would this might be the gift that that you get somebody that just makes their Christmas. For, so tell folks how they can get the pooter. Um, if they want a, an inexpensive gift that that that's probably going to uh, light up the holidays. No pun intended. <laughs> yes. No, it, it will though. Oh, I that love was it. Kind of a bumblebee, you know, sound. But the yeah. warmer it gets, by the way, listen. It's fun. It's just so much fun. You know how much fun this thing is. It is. The pooter, the pooter.com. The pooter.com. The pooter.com. P-O-O-T-E-R. Yes. Yes. So so much fun. Really fun. And, and again, you you can you can break the wind of heaviness in your home. <laughs> by by getting the pooter nice. jack i like it. It, it go to jack vale films on youtube google jack vale films and you can find all of his content and be sure to look out for that carmen movie coming very soon when, when is the carmen movie coming out jack we should be in production by about mid next year so we're, we're or the earlier part of the year so by mid next year we should be in editing and hopefully our goal is by the end of the year so right now we just are hoping to be able to um Make sure that those last-minute things are lined up so that we can be on schedule. It's going to be tremendous. It's going to be tremendous. Jack Vale, thank you so much for joining me today on the Intentional Courage Podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. My thanks, as always, to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And, of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.